Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of, of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading, the Gospel reading, is taken from Luke chapter 12, chapter 13, 1 to 9. Please turn with me to page 1046 in our church Bibles. Jesus is speaking to a crowd and, as usual, is telling a parable, so I am really grateful for the teaching we are about to receive. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. All those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. These are the words of our Lord. I feel our curate needs encouragement. You've had a lovely week away. 
but every single one of us here has also had a long week, exactly the same length as yours. It's just that we've got different blessings. Lovely to hear about Dane. Dane Hill's very close to where Wendy and I used to live at one stage in our life. We're now in our 29th home of uh, 58 married years. We've always had to keep one step ahead of the police and near Dane Hill was one of the places they asked us to move on and um, so on. We come to God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the fabulous time the youngsters had away with Adam and other leaders at Dane Hill. Most of us are ineligible and we couldn't go even if we wanted to. But we pray your blessing on the seed that has been sown in their hearts and lives will flourish and bear fruit to your honor and glory. Thank you for those who've gone upstairs to have good stuff. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless us all, children upstairs and us down here, with some godly good stuff. For your namesake, Father. Amen. Chapter 12 came, uh, uh, third, uh, 12 last week, we were looking at chapter 11 of Hebrews, and today we've read the first three verses. And chapter 11 speaks of God's ancient saints in the Old Testament who did great things for God. Do you remember who it's about? Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, Joseph, Moses' parents as well as Moses himself, the people of Israel en masse, a prostitute, Rahab, And then men like Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in the battle and routed foreign armies. Women receive back their dead, are raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. And then that chapter ends. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us. 
that only together with us would they be made perfect. They're watching you now. That's what the scriptures says. This great cloud of witnesses. Hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of men of God and women of God who put their faith in him through times that you and I would probably crumble. And they're watching us now as to how we react to God's word, not to my preaching, but to God's word. I'm going to read chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, which Delia read so beautifully a few moments ago, in a, in a paraphrase called The Message. How many have heard of The Message? Good. That, that's good. Joss, where's Joss? Is Joss here? He was here. Yes. Joss, often you, pre you mention it when you are preaching. I've noticed that several times. I've got a copy at home, and sometimes it's incredibly helpful. So let me read those first three verses again in modern English, a paraphrase, not a translation. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on? It means we'd better get on with it, strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we are in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over the story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I like that. It may not be absolutely accurate to the New Testament Greek in which it was written, but it carries a strength I believe. So dozens of God's children whose stories form a large part of the Old Testament, pioneers, Peterson called them, a great cloud of witnesses wrote the author of Hebrews. And they're watching you and me. I wonder what my dad is doing now. In our gospel reading, Jesus was answering some folk who had come to him with an anecdote of historical horrors that Pontius Pilate had committed in the temple against certain Jewish worshippers. 
Jesus responded to these people with a question himself. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans before? Then Jesus posed another question over another historical fact where some builders had been crushed as the building they were working on collapsed on them and killed some of them. Do you think they were more guilty than others living in Jerusalem? Jesus answered his own questions on both subjects, but no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. That word is the rock-bottom start of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's why our services invariably start with some form of confession. Acknowledging that we are sinners. Acknowledging that we are failures, but we still want to come to worship him. John the Baptist's first words, as recorded by Matthew, repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Mark wrote, John came preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And a few verses later, Mark records Jesus' first words. The time has come, the kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. Weeks after Jesus returned to be with his Father in heaven, Peter preached to the crowds on what you and I now call the day of Pentecost. And having retold why Jesus came, about the cross and the resurrection, the people we read were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? To which Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. Seventy-three years ago, not many of you can remember 73 years ago. I was eight at the time. Okay, work it out. My mum and dad asked me, what would you like for a birthday present? Oh, if you like to, if you're taking notes, March the 28th. Thank you very much. What would you like for a birthday present? And, and I said, I'd like a Bible. They were a little taken aback at this reprobate son who was still small and smelly and nuisance asking for a copy of God's Word. But they gave me one. I've still got it. It's in a box, in a cupboard, right outside our front door, locked away. And in it they wrote a greeting to me as their young son, and my mother quoted Isaiah 43 and verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord your God. And beside there, besides that, there is no Savior. Dad wrote Acts 4 verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must 
be saved. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Would you please, just for a moment, look away from my eyes, look down or look at the screens, just away from me. The question I want to ask you and I want you to silently answer is, are you saved? It's a word that I grew up with. Okay, you can look up again. Uh, and it was a word that was frequently used in preaching. With a few exceptions, we don't seem to hear it very frequently these days. But it's the most valid question to which we must have an answer if we espouse to a relationship with God. You and I have all met people who say, Oh yes, I believe in God. To which the Bible replies, so does Satan. I pray! Good. Keep on praying. I come to church. Good. Keep on coming to church. I was baptized. I was confirmed. And two of us in this room, there may be others I haven't spotted, two of us in this room and can truthfully say, I have been ordained. Although Adam wouldn't say it like that. But I tell myself and I tell you, none of those is a qualification for entering the King of Heaven, entering the Kingdom of Heaven. So I ask you again, are you saved? Unless I come to God in Jesus' name and repent of my sins, sin of leaving him out of my life, I can never be saved. I will not be a Christian. Do you know, I know one sin. I could come round to every one of you, one by one, and tell you one sin that you've committed this last week. For none of us, including this one, has loved God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. You and I, we are all failures. Oh, we don't need to live under that. But we need to live in an attitude of repentance. Day by day by day. Then we come to our reading from the book of Hebrews. I read it to you from the modern version of it. Last Sunday, Neil was standing here and preaching on chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews. Let me read you part of that again that Neil used last Sunday morning. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must 
believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You will need just as much faith at half past ten tomorrow morning as you have now to live in a relationship with God. As Neil came and sat down again, Mike came up. He was leading the service last Sunday morning. And he emphasized, as Peterson does, the main and central action is always what God has done. What God is doing and what he will do for us. How many of you, don't put up your hands, it's none of my business. How many of you will be on Castle Field on Saturday the 7th of September? Unless you are away, I hope all of us can be there standing for the Lord Jesus Christ in one of a dozen different needs that are written down. You see, Christianity is not what I can do for God, but is what God wants to do for, in, and through me. Yes, even me. Some years ago, Wendy and I lived for quite a while in East Africa, both in Kenya and in Uganda. And where we were in fellowship in Nairobi, quite a small church of about 180, 200 people, and all of them frightfully British. There were a few Africans there, but there were many other churches. And there was a lovely elderly couple, Mr. and Mrs. Stock Given, whom everybody loved. <clears throat> they had been for something like 45 years missionaries in Egypt. And at a certain point in history, they got kicked out of Egypt and they came to live in retirement in Nairobi and they were worshipping in this particular church fellowship. Granny Stock Given, I can't remember what his Christian name was, can you? No. We're an old couple, so forgive us a little bit of forgetfulness. But they both got taken into nursing home. And Wendy and I, together with lots of other people at different times, went to visit them. Granny Stock Given was one of those that you went in to, to cheer her up and to raise her spirits. And you came out feeling on high because she had raised our spirits. She was that vibrant in her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were both in their mid-80s. Very old people. He died early December one year. And there was a funeral service and Granny Stockgiven was still in the nursing home. And then on Christmas morning, the man who came to start our service, he said, I've got some good news for you. 
Granny Stockgiven died in the early hours of this morning. She's never been more alive than she is now. And the whole church, without anyone asking us to, stood up and there was clapping from very staid English people. And then, as if conducted by a choir, we sang a hymn. I can picture it now. I won't sing it to you for fear of causing offence. Actually, it's in our blue hymn books, I was told after the service this morning. How good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend. His love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. Has anybody ever heard that hymn? Would you like to come and sing it up here? No, no, it's all right. But there's another verse. Listen to this. For Christ is the first and the last. His spirit will guide us safe home. And Granny had just gone. We'll praise him for all that's past and trust him for all that's to come. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is not something you can pump up. I'm full of faith. No, it doesn't work like that. Faith is a gift God places in your heart and mine. Oh, how we should pray for that gift. In our chapter of Hebrews today, we read this. We should throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I would find your temptations easy. No problem to live with at all. You would find mine impossibly difficult. As sometimes I do. And because I don't live in your life. I don't know the way that Satan attacks you. I well remember as a little boy of about six during the Second World War. It's quite a long time ago. So, yes. um, we lived in the countryside between Lewis and Eastbourne. And Dad used to take us to a, a pond. It's almost the area of this, this church. It was quite a big pond. And go swimming. The beaches were all wired off against the enemy. And this pond called Chalvington is still there today. And we used to go there. There was mom and dad, and my elder brother and sister and myself. And I was a bit of a five, six at the time. And suddenly my mother stood up and started shouting, help him someone, help him. Because she spotted that dad's legs had been caught in the weed and it was dragging him down. And he couldn't get free of that weed. Sins like that. A beautiful, attractive Chalvington to dive into. Beautiful area. And Satan is there to get you and drag you and entangle you. I find I'm entangled by sin sometimes. 
I hate it. So my first question was, are you saved? My second question, and with this I close, are you running patiently and throwing off the hindrances? Satan wants to wreck and to ruin every single part of your relationship with God. Are you praying for Mike and Rachel as they leave? They're going on to a great work with CPAS a vitally important part of the ministry. Out of the limelight most of the time. And Satan will attack Michael perhaps as never before. And Rachel, pray for them. Are you praying for the man God is going to bring here to take Michael's place? Satan will do all he can to attack that man before he even gets here. Or her before she gets here. Pray for them. Do you pray for Adam when he's leading and preaching? We who do have the privilege to preach. Covet your prayers because Satan has a way of entangling us. Are you saved? Are you running patiently, throwing off all hindrances? Or is today one of those days when you need to quietly, without telling anybody else, Refocus your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, please bless us as a church fellowship. May we see where Satan would entangle us and with your strength in us Throw off those hindrances and grant us always to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.